Hello and welcome to the Core Perform Corner, where registered dietitians and personal trainers teach you how to optimize your gut health, hormones, and fitness. Our team has utilized the trademark and evidence-based Core Perform protocol to transform over 500 lives mentally and physically. Here at Core Perform, we have three core values that are family, communication, and care. So if you are ready, subscribe to join our family, communicate with us through our Facebook group to ask questions, and we'll take care of the rest. Please remember this episode should not be used as medical advice to treat any medical condition in either yourself or others. And now, let's get on to this week's question. Welcome back to the Core Perform Corner. This week we are joined by Erin, who is a gluten-free dietitian, and we're going to be talking all about celiac disease, um, gluten, and the gut. So without further ado, Erin, why don't you introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about what you do. Yeah, so I am Erin. I'm a registered dietitian. I also have celiac and have been gluten-free for almost 10 years now. Um, I am the CEO of the celiac space. So it is myself and four other dietitians um, who all see clients in our virtual practice. So we work on um, things regarding celiac, how to eat out, how to navigate labels, how to do things safely, um, as well as other things like gut health is a big concern that we see with a lot of our clients. Um, so a lot of times people come to us with gluten issues or they are newly diagnosed um, and then it usually develops into they need more support and that's where we kind of come in with our team. Perfect. So why don't we dive in? I know we have a lot of really good questions that were asked. Yeah. Um, for anyone who doesn't know, we always ask like whenever we bring on a guest, we do collect questions ahead of time. So be sure to stay tuned if you ever want to be one of the ones who asks a specific question. Um, but let's start off with like the basics. So first of all, how did you get diagnosed with celiac? I yeah. have celiac also, by the way. Yeah. So I was diagnosed in 2011, 2012-ish, I guess. Um, I was a senior in high school and we did blood work first. So celiac runs in my family. I had been, I had blood work done many times. Anytime I had a stomach ache, when I was a kid, usually we had a celiac blood work done um, just to kind of rule that out. It is genetic. Um, and it was always negative until high school. We took the blood test. Um, and I had been gluten-free at that point because we figured, why not? Precautionary, yeah. Precautionary, yeah. At that point, we didn't know you had to be gluten. You had to be eating gluten to take the blood test. Mm. Changed since then. But we've done the blood test. We did the blood test. It was like, maybe you're celiac, maybe you're not. We'll do the endoscopy. Did the endoscopy, there's enough damage to show celiac. Oh, okay, cool. Um, yeah. My story is kind of similar. So I got the blood test done. It was like half positive, half negative kind of thing. Yeah. And then I got the endoscopy done and they were still like, mm, this is half positive, half negative. And then I got a colonoscopy done and they were still like, hmm, this is half positive, half negative. So they diagnosed me with it and he basically was just like, I think you're just in such early stages of us catching it that we were able to like catch it super early on. Um, but once I eliminated gluten after that, a lot of all the pains that I was experiencing went away. Yeah. How long ago were you diagnosed? Um, I was in graduate school. So okay. I was, yeah. So it was probably like, five or six years. No, six years now. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's crazy how much like it's changed in terms of like the recommendations. And so there's a lot of old recommendations online that people get confused by. But basically, endoscopy is the gold standard. Mm-hmm. However, with the endoscopy, it's up to the doctor's judgment. Like they're not measuring something. It's just like the doctor's eye, basically. Like, does it look like there's damage or does it not? Whereas the blood work, it's a true value. And so we can say you have celiac or you don't with the blood work. So mm-hmm. oftentimes we take different pieces, right? So we take like, what does the blood work say? What does the endoscopy say? Do you have the celiac gene, whether you you can get genetically tested or does it run in your family? Um, do you get, do you feel better on a gluten-free diet? Like those are all factors for us to kind of determine a celiac diagnosis. Yeah. And then also there's different specificity and sensitivities to all the blood work that you do. That's why I always, just like you just said, we recommend the endoscopy as kind of the gold standard um, because that is, again, that visual, like, okay, is there damage to the villi? Um, And so what do they look for? Why don't we explain a little bit more about what do they look for in the endoscopy? Yeah, so they're looking for damage to the small intestine. Um, celiac disease is an autoimmune disease, which means your body attacks itself essentially, um, and it damages the small intestine specifically. So there's villi in your small intestine. Um, this is a podcast, so you can't see my visual, but if you put your hands up like the number four, um, all the area in between your like fingers um, is where your body absorbs nutrients um, and a lot of other important stuff goes on in there. What happens with celiac is those become damaged. So it becomes more like knuckles. So there's not those big fingers. Um, And what the doctor's looking for is how tall are those fingers? How like good of shape are they in? With celiac, they would be shorter kind of nubby looking fingers. With somebody without celiac, they would be healthy hair looking strong fingers. So that's really what they're looking for. So what would be the difference between someone who has celiac disease versus a a non-celiac sensitivity? Yeah. So there's people with just like food sensitivity. So gluten might be a food sensitivity. There's also people with non-celiac gluten sensitivity, which is um, there's still kind of research out there of if that is like a diagnosable condition. But with celiac disease, um, it's an autoimmune disease, right? So the amount of gluten that somebody with celiac can have is very, very small, right? We want to avoid gluten at all costs. Um, And when there is gluten ingested into the body, the body attacks itself. Somebody with a food sensitivity or um, what's the other word starts with an I? Food intolerance. Mm -hmm. Um, Gluten, very similar. They usually have like GI issues. They might have headaches, migraines, skin issues, Um, but it isn't an autoimmune condition. Mm -hmm. So sometimes the symptoms can present the same, but usually the treatment is different in terms of, you know, somebody with celiac needs to avoid cross contact. Somebody with a food sensitivity might be able to get away with some gluten depending on their tolerance. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, symptoms can be the same, can be different, but overall like the underlying mechanism is very different as well as the treatment can be somewhat different. Mm -hmm. And I also wanted to talk a little bit about like the villi and the damage to the villi in general, because oftentimes a lot of presentation of SIBO. And so SIBO um, or small intestinal bacterial overgrowth can cause damage to those villi also. So that's again, why it's so important to make sure that this is actually an autoimmune reaction. Your body is attacking itself when it does um, consume gluten um, because SIBO could give you the same kind of false symptoms where you're like, you know, I'm intolerant, I'm bloated, I'm gassy, I have pain as a result of of my eating, my small intestine is damaged. Um, A lot of those kind of symptoms might be similar, 
But that's why, again, it's really important to run that blood work or get an endoscopy where you're actually visually and getting the support of the blood work to say like, no, this is an autoimmune reaction that's occurring. And what's interesting is we have clients that come to us with a celiac diagnosis. They're also diagnosed with SIBO or we, you know, we determine they have dysbiosis in other ways. Um, and if they don't get that information from their doctor, which a lot of GI doctors are not testing for, they give them a celiac diagnosis and send them on their way. And with a gluten-free diet, they don't get better because they still have something else going on. Um, and so it's really important to look at what those other things are because if they have SIBO, for example, they're eating gluten-free diet, but they're still having gas, bloating, constipation, nausea, whatever their symptoms are, they might think that they're not gluten-free enough. So they mm -hmm. search for more ways to be avoiding gluten, to be stricter, and being stricter with gluten isn't going to solve your SIBO or your dysbiosis. So um, that's kind of an important thing too that we address. Yeah, I think that's so important to mention because I've had clients in the past too that like we heal their guts, we work on their guts, and their previous sensitivity to gluten actually goes away um, after they've restored their good gut lining and healed that up a little bit. Um, because we do know that gluten is one of the things that does increase our intestinal permeability. So with that said, what are your thoughts? I know I'm skipping ahead a little bit. What are your thoughts on everyone being gluten free? Yeah, so probably not the best option. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of people in my world are gluten free because we are the celiac space, but we see a lot of clients that aren't gluten free and don't need to be. Mm -hmm. So if they come to us with issues, we may consider eliminating gluten and seeing what they look like. Um, but in most cases, they don't need to be 100% gluten-free. There isn't a reason for it. It's a lot more challenging. It causes more stress. We all know that stress can cause more health issues than having gluten can be. Um, so they don't have autoimmune issue to it. If they don't have any other contraindications for why they can't eat gluten, um, then it's definitely part of a, a healthy diet. I completely agree. And I'm so glad that we agree on that because my whole goal is to create the most inclusive diet as possible. Like no dietitian out there wants you, I mean, some maybe do, but wants you to be long-term on a restrictive diet. Our whole goal is to reintroduce gluten back into the diet after healing the gut. Again, assuming you don't have any sort of autoimmune condition. Um, with that said, Someone had asked, if my dad or sister have celiac, am I doomed to for my intolerance to convert to celiac disease? Yeah. So your intolerance doesn't convert. Um, celiac is a gene. So the gene can either turn on. It can never, it doesn't go off, but it can turn on. So it wouldn't be that your intolerance is converting to celiac. It would be um, your gene, your celiac gene could potentially turn on. If you have family history of it, um, you have about a 25% increased risk of getting celiac. Um, you can always get the genetic test to see if you carry the gene. You might not even carry the gene. If you don't carry the gene, the chances of getting celiac are really, really small. Yeah. If your dad has it, you likely carry the gene, um, which we knew for was my case, because it does run in my family. So whenever I had health conditions or gut kind of stuff come up, I would get a blood test and kind of see what my numbers were at. Until those numbers elevated, I didn't need to go gluten-free. Um, I didn't have to follow a gluten-free diet. Same thing with my brother. If he had gut issues as a kid, we did a celiac test for him. He always came back negative. He's almost 30 now. He's still negative. So there's two of us. One of us got celiac. The other one didn't. So it's not that you're doomed to have celiac. Um, you know, it doesn't mean that the gene's going to turn on, but you do have that increased risk. Yeah. And I love that you mentioned that too about your brother. That's so cool that you guys have like kind of that own experiment that you get to um, 
kind of see. But the number one thing I would say in terms of turning genes on and off is not the gluten, right? It's stress. Yeah. So that's actually the number one thing I would be more concerned in that case about is, okay, how are you managing your stress on a day-to-day basis? Because that is probably going to control whether that gene gets turned on or not more than the gluten itself. Yeah. Yeah. And there's, I mean, with CVAC turning on, like there's environment. So genetics is one factor, but environment is another one. So stress, other lifestyle factors, um, and then like things like viruses or other things that you don't have control over can also turn it on. So let's say they got turned on, they got diagnosed with celiac. What is a celiac reaction versus a sensitivity? So with celiac, there's over a hundred different symptoms. So everybody has different symptoms. There's also a silent celiac, meaning that they have celiac without being asymptomatic with no symptoms. Um, Most common symptoms for celiac are GI issues. So um, vomiting, diarrhea, constipation, nausea, um, and stomach pain and bloating would be kind of the main ones. With celiac, everybody has a different reaction time. So some people react pretty quickly. Other people might have like a delayed reaction. Somebody with a sensitivity, usually they need to ingest like a lot of gluten. So a piece of bread versus somebody with celiac can have a reaction with crumbs um, and just like exposure. So the biggest thing is really the dose um, that can cause different reactions. Yeah, I can. What are your celiac reactions like? Mine is like significant constipation. <laughs> um, like So interesting. Yeah. Um, a lot of my family, though, is the opposite for them. So vomiting. Mm-hmm is most of my family's symptoms. Um, mine's constipation, a headache, like a very specific headache, and then a lot of And how long do your symptoms last? It depends on the exposure. Um, now I have like gluten down where like I always know what I'm doing. So um, it's always like a pretty small cross contact situation. Um, so I would say like a day or two when I was first diagnosed and I made plenty of mistakes in eating things that I didn't know had gluten in them, then it could be a day to a week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for me, um, when I like over the years, I've learned that like, it really again, the doses in the po- like the poisons in the dose. Um, but I also felt like the like, amount of healing that my body was able to do since my last exposure would really play in a part into how quickly I was able to recover. So I would have like, I've had episodes where like six weeks I've had diarrhea as a result of like literally cross-contamination of just like a little bit of ingestion. And it would be six weeks long of just like a really long flare. Um, And for me personally, um, nothing really helps in terms of like, I remember people would be like, oh, take like GI Revive or do psyllium husk or whatever it is. And I was like, guys, like honestly, my immune system just needs to calm down. Like I, you know, and so what, does anything help you specifically? No, it's all just like symptom management. So like, because mine's constipation, obviously things like magnesium are helpful. Um, You know, sometimes I might need even a little extra support beyond that. Um, But trying to get bowel movements going with good like bowel health. Yeah, it's all symptom management for the most part for me also being on the opposite spectrum being like just managing making sure I don't get dehydrated making sure Mm -hmm. I'm plenty of electrolytes and fluids. Um, Yeah. And just like heating pads that are comfortable like resting not doing anything crazy in the gym like giving myself grace because I know I probably won't feel great simple foods, um, which is all symptom management it's there's I mean I get the question all the time like, 
what do I do when I have gluten? Like, what can I take? How can I like, in, like speed up the healing? And it's, your body has to do its process when you have celiac. Um, there are a ton of products on the market and everybody has tried to push them on me, which is another story, but there's products that you can take that are like decrease the, the gluten reaction or that kill the gluten before you take it or whatever. Can we, can we talk about that afterwards too, please? <laughs> yes. But so all these products, right? Yeah. Gluten away, gluten digest. I don't know. These companies make a ton of money, but mm -hmm. that doesn't stop the immune reaction. Mm -hmm. Maybe, maybe for somebody with a food sensitivity, take it. I guess it's not going to hurt. Maybe, I guess. I wouldn't spend your money on it, but if you want to try it, fine. But for somebody who see that, it's not going to help. It's a different mechanism, like we said. Mm -hmm. So, so when I was sick with, I had mold toxicity um, last year at this time. And I had eight, nine weeks of straight diarrhea. At first, I thought it was a celiac flare. So I was like letting it go. But then once it got to like two months worth of this, I was like, I need to do something about this. And so I went to go, I was talking to a functional doctor at the time. And he was like, you know what, you need to use like gluten digest because gluten is in the air. And I was like, I was so confused at that point. I was like, you know, maybe, but this just sounds so wrong. <laughs> yeah. And so um, I never took it because I know science well enough to not do that. But um, I'm curious if anyone has ever came to you being like, no, this product is amazing. Yeah. I mean, I have had people like say like, oh, this is the product that's amazing. One mm -hmm. is influencers who are getting paid to say that. You and I mm -hmm. both saw that happens um which i'm so against the other one is the placebo effect works right we know this so if you were to take a sugar pill and somebody says it makes you feel better and you believed them and then you mm -hmm. took the pill you're probably gonna feel better yeah. right so I'm if it works by the fact of the placebo effect then, then it works but it works because of what's in it it works because the placebo effect works yeah i see i see the same thing with greens powders that's what i always say on on my channel it's like they're a waste of money and people are like, but I feel so much better. I'm like, yeah, because you're probably intaking so much crap that your body's just like, get it out of me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So yeah. there's so many products like that, that people are like, Oh, I take this and I feel better. I'm like, if you want to, but like you are wasting your money, but if mm -hmm. you swear by that, then, then it's not a waste, right? Like it's not a waste of money. If even the placebo effect is real for you, like that's right. not a, yeah. Um, so that's cool that we ended up touching upon that. Um, so what about sneaky places that gluten is hiding? I want to say everywhere and nowhere at the same time. So everywhere in the sense that like gluten is in a lot of places that you wouldn't think, right? So most people think it's in like bread and pasta and that kind of thing, right? when it really can be in a lot of other things like soy sauce, right? It's not the soy that's the issue. Somebody just asked about the whole soy. Yeah, soy. <laughs> soy, it's that in soy sauce, there's also wheat in it, right? So soy sauce in thickeners like Alfredo, um, in different dressings, it's added in there in, in other ways. So it isn't a lot of things that you wouldn't nat nat like naturally think. However, it's never hidden. A lot of people think that like manufacturers and food companies are trying to trick us and they are not. It'll be on the label, like it'll be in the ingredients. You just have to know what ingredients to look for, 
it's not just going to say gluten as the ingredient. It's going to say whole wheat flour, or it's going to say natural flavors, or it's going to say other things that mean gluten. And so it's up for the celiac. And one of the most important skills for anybody following gluten-free diet is what are those terms? And so we have in my practice, what we call our no and our woes. So a no is something that like is never not, is, is never gluten-free. We call right? That no matter what you do, that's always contains gluten. There's other things um, like natural flavors. It could be from a gluten containing source, a gluten free source. So you mm -hmm. have to do a little bit more digging to see if it's gluten free, but it's never really hidden. You just have to know what you're looking for. A lot of times people will see a product and it'll have a gluten free label on it. And they'll say, but wait, you know, we have to know about the manufacturer and where it was grown and yada, yada, yada. And there are some cases like oats, we have to be mindful of that. Um, but beyond that, the labels are, are really clear. And so it's just understanding kind of how to navigate the labels. Yeah, absolutely. And I will say too, like core perform, for example, the protein powder that I created, I personally have celiac disease. The first thing I said was, okay, I need to make sure that this is like zero PPM. Uh, like yeah. I, uh, I, because I know from a manufacturing perspective, you're allowed on the label to say it's gluten free if it's less than 20 PPM, which means that it still could contain gluten, but at smaller amounts. Um, yeah. I was like, no, because if this is going to be a product that I'm going to be consuming every day, I need to make sure that that is safe, not only for myself, but also for my clients and the people who also suffer with this. Um, however, the other thing I wanted to touch on was you mentioned oats. How often do you see an oat um, sensitivity in your patient population? Good question. It's not super common, to be honest. Uh, a lot of a lot of people with GI issues have sensitivities to like higher fiber or like if they would eat a huge bowl of oats on an empty stomach, that's probably not going to do great for them. Right. Is that oat sensitivity or is that because it's too much fiber on an empty stomach? Right. Those are two different things. Um, a lot of doctors will recommend that when somebody is newly diagnosed to not do oats, um, it's kind of a case by case basis. If we'll have that recommendation with oats for somebody with celiac, what we always want to make sure is it's either one, a certified gluten-free product, which is the gold standard for anything to be celiac safe, or it is it, the product that has oats in it states gluten-free oats. So there's a whole bar like nature Valley or whatever it has oats in it might not have any other gluten-free ingredients, but oats is one of those high risk things. And so it has to be gluten-free oats in that product or be like a certified gluten-free bar. Mm -hmm. But in terms of like an oat sensitivity, it happens, um, but it's rare. Usually we'll see it like through blood work or through elimination diets. Mm -hmm. I personally have an oat sensitivity that I don't know, I didn't know about, but it's really weird because it's only with, um, like fresh oats. Like if I cook them mm. out of a gluten-free bag, I used like Bob Red Mills. Yeah. I've been trying to like reintroduce it because I love oats. Yeah. I've been trying to reintroduce it back into the diet. So I'd keep trialing it. But every time I trial it, it's like within 30 minutes, I'm in the bathroom. It's so bizarre. Um, but like baked goods and stuff, I tolerate it great. That's crazy because they're both cooked. Right. Even like oats, like you don't eat, like you're not they're just eating. eating. Yeah. So anyways, um, that was a tangent, but yeah, it's trial and error with our clients. Right. But it's mm -hmm. rare for a client like, Oh, I can't touch oats with a 10 foot pole unless they have other GI issues going on or it's a tree sensitivity, mm -hmm. but it's not as common as a lot of people would think. Yeah. Um, 
are people in Facebook groups and whatever else um, that say like, oh, celiacs cannot have oats, um, which is a very old, outdated recommendation. Where are some of the places, like sneaky places that, because I know I'm not perfect either. Like even as I grew with my celiac journey, there are places where I was like, there's no way that's gluten-free. I'm not even going to look at the label. And then I got gluten. So has that happened to you too before? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, I think it happened a lot in the beginning, which like when I was diagnosed, my family had been celiac for like 15 years, probably like since the 80s almost. Um, and I still didn't know half of what I should know and not even a tenth of what I know now mm-hmm. uh, because it is the kind of that trial and error. So other sneaky places, candy is a tricky one because candy has so many funky ingredients and like the bite size ones or the fun size, whatever, aren't always labeled really well. Like they don't have ingredients. So that's something tricky. Sauces, dressings. Um, what are some other ones? Like baked goods, I guess. I got sick the most with eating out at first. I didn't know what questions to ask. I didn't know where like the hot spots were in the kitchen. But going through school, um, my degree is in um, food science and nutrition. So we had a of classes on like manufacturing and processing and um uh big kitchens whatever that first word uh commercial kitchens so we had a lot of training of like how things are processed in there and that really opened my eyes to like what is a risk where can gluten happen like where can cross contact happen that kind of things um so that was like a big eye-opener for me Mm -hmm. i will say for me restaurants seem to be the safest for me, I know I'm really, I'm an outlier on that, but I think it's because I, when I went out to eat at these restaurants, like I would be so strict up front and I would just be like, I want it cooked on tin foil. I need no added sauces on it. I need it to be like, I was just so strict. And when I looked them in the eye and I was like, I will have an allergic reaction to this. And I gave them kind of that death stare. The waiters would always be like, oh sure, like we'll we'll take yeah. care of that. Um, and the biggest thing with restaurants too is like, don't go to Applebee's and expect them to know what yeah. to do. You have to go to like restaurants that the chefs are educated enough to yeah. kind of know yeah. about allergies and they have those systems in place. Um, because I think I even went like, I went to Applebee's <laughs> once and I didn't order anything because I knew this was not happening. Um, and I was like, they were all ordering desserts and I was like, yeah, well, do you have anything that's gluten free on the, on the menu for desserts? And she goes, I think the cookies are gluten-free. No, are no pass. I was like, hard pass. I'm really glad I never ordered anything here. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, what I always tell my clients, because ideally, like, you know, the upper scale restaurants where the chef is a chef, not a cook, and trained, and it has time to come out, you're going to have better luck there. But that's not always an option for people, right, to go to those restaurants. So when you go somewhere like Chili's, Chili's actually has a decent gluten for menu but when you and I hate chilies but if you go to Applebee's or whatever else I always tell my clients like they are not the gluten-free expert there you are so when they tell you you can have cookies or when they tell you you can have such and such you then put on your hat your I'm a like advocate and the expert hat and teach them right? Mm-hmm. They're not trying to get you sick. They're not trying to whatever. But when I was in high school, I worked at a restaurant that specialized in gluten-free. My family had gluten-free and I knew nothing. I was useless to those people, right? Mm-hmm. Not because I didn't want to help them, but because I just didn't know. And so help the server help 
you um, and you'll have a lot better luck. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's why my success was so great so far with restaurants is because again, I was I'm always so strict. I exactly tell them exactly what I needs to be done. And I warn them that this yes. is gonna be a very, very serious matter that they need to take into account. Most of the times I've never really asked to like see the chef or talk to the chef. Yeah. Although I know that's an awesome like precautionary measure. I don't feel the need to go above and beyond because if I'm like very transparent with the waiter, usually they'll take really great notes and, and yeah. take care of it. And it matters yeah. ordering. Like if you're ordering pasta, like there's a million more questions to ask because like, are you having a shared pod? Is it shared sauce? Is it shared water? Yada, yada, yada. Where if you just like, I salmon, veggies, and rice, salmon, veggies, and baked potato, like super yeah. simple. Then it makes it easy for them. If it comes out with something funky, then I know it's off. Where mm -hmm. I could eat a whole plate of pasta and not know it's gluten-free. Mm -hmm. um, and so I personally stick with naturally gluten-free. And I would rather, I'm kind of similar to you. Like I think restaurants are pretty easy, but mm -hmm. I practice. But I would rather eat at a restaurant than eat at like a stranger's home. Mm -hmm. Because it's a lot harder for me to tell a stranger how to manage their kitchen and what to cook for me mm -hmm. than when I'm paying a restaurant. Um, yeah. Exactly. I love that too, that you mentioned that someone said, asked about like checking the fryer and stuff. I personally, like, I'm just like, no, like I don't have the energy for yeah, yeah, restaurant. I'm like, I'm not going to use the fryer. I'm really going to be very specific on, I need this in a separate cleaned place. Please use um, like yeah. if you're, wash your hands, whatever necessary needs to make sure that it's great. Um, the other time that I've been gluten sneakily is with lint chocolate. Like I had a chocolate bar once and I had lint chocolate. And if you look on the back afterwards, it says barley extract on it. And I was like, dang it. Yeah. It's always those sneaky ones where you're like, there's no way this would have it in it. Yeah. Um, but then yeah. then the symptoms occur and you're like, let me backtrack and double check. And it's always that one thing that you just put slightly in your mouth. But, yeah. but that's the difference too with, that's the difference between celiac and a sensitivity too is like celiacs will know. Um, and then a sensitivity, like you probably wouldn't be able to notice something so small as that where it's just an extract in a piece of chocolate that you had. And I always tell people like backtrack, because if, if you backtrack and you don't find anything, then it could be something else. Like you got stomach aches and you had diarrhea and whatever your symptoms are before you were diagnosed with celiac, mm -hmm. like people also have those issues that don't have celiac. So it's important to know, like, was this a celiac reaction? Did I mess up somewhere that I can learn a lesson? Or was this not celiac? Because mm -hmm. what you don't want is every time that somebody has a stomach ache or they have funky bowel movement or they have a headache from to panic of, oh, I gluten myself or, oh, it was celiac related. And then they become more restricted than they have to be. Mm -hmm. Agreed. Alrighty. So with that said, what is your favorite gluten-free recipes? Or what are they? What are they? Okay, so Loki, I don't cook that much. Um, I, yeah, like not at all. Um, if I have guests over and we're hosting, then I will cook. Uh, taco bar is number one. And I just put out corn tortillas, rice, beans, usually my husband will grill and like fajita veggies in the air fryer. Or we will do grilling with baked potatoes. So if people are at my house, it's all natural gluten-free, but I'm not feeding them like gluten-free bread, mm -hmm. right? Um, I don't, we don't do like, burgers on the barbecue because if we have a big party we will and we'll just heat up regular buns in the oven um but i try not to feed guests like gluten-free alternatives just because mm -hmm. they're not into it some products are great but some aren't um so expensive so if you're gonna have 
host a party, it's like, the last thing I want to do is pay $7 for everyone's gluten free. Yeah. And for people to be like, this doesn't taste the same. When to me, it's great, but I haven't had anything different. Right. Exactly. Um, and I also like baking. So I, um, I make a lot of banana bread and brownies, which translate really well to gluten free. So nobody ever knows the difference. Yeah, someone was actually posting um, gluten, like using the protein powder, using Corporform, using it in banana bread, and then waffles and pancakes. I need to yeah. try and blondies. Someone even made. Yeah, our dietitian um, Rebecca she posted waffles yesterday with yeah. them. So good. They looked so good. Um, yeah. My personal favorite gluten-free recipes, honestly, I'm a huge sushi girl. Like I love a poke bowl, so yeah. that's my go-to. Um, but in terms of gluten-free recipes, I love, um, so funny enough, like the gluten-free oats, it's a staple for baking. And because sometimes when I cook them, I don't react to them. Yeah. So I love using gluten-free oats in all of my gluten-free baking. And so that's what I would, um, I think I made like gingerbread. We made like an April, um streusel last week. This week we made carrot cake. Um, my family, because I live with my parents right now, we like every week we try a, a fun new like baked pie or whatever that we make and then we eat it throughout the week. So it's been fun. Yeah. Yeah. Those are probably kind of, I stick to simple recipes when I cook, but I'm not like a crazy gluten-free cook. So whenever people are like, you have recipes, I'm like, you don't want to see my recipes because they take about five minutes to make. They don't look pretty. They just taste good. And Yeah. But hey, that's how the majority of people are, I feel like. We just need convenience at this age. Yeah, convenience at this point. People think because I'm a dietitian, I love to be in the kitchen, which is not the case. <laughs> I like to tell someone, please make this for me, and then I'll eat it. <laughs> yeah. But also after talking about food all day, I'm like, I don't want to go and, like, think about food anymore. Just, like, put it in me, give yeah. it, let me put it in my mouth, and call it a day. Yeah, I agree. Um, well, thank you so much for joining us. Um, I think we covered a bunch of really great topics and is there, how can people find you and how can they connect with you? Yeah. Uh, they can find me at the underscore celiac underscore space on Instagram. Um, and in my bio, I have my website, all my resources, all that kind of stuff as well. Awesome. Someone just said cheese quesadillas with apples and gluten-free prosciutto warmed up. That sounds amazing. That sounds very random, but that sounds amazing also. I so. if the apples are in there or if the apples are on the side. Either one of them I think would be good. I think so too because think about like apple brie kind of thing going on. Sounds good. Well, with that, thank you so much for joining again and um, we'll talk soon. All right. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye.